So that was the, the idea. Can we create a system that kind of tells us everything that goes that goes on with our customers and customer facing people without anybody having to lift a finger? So going digital and remote selling definitely gives us a lot of tailwind as a company. With Gong, all that guesswork is gone. From GGV, this is Founder Real Talk, where we get real about the challenges that founders and startup executives face and how they've grown from tough experiences. I'm your host, Glenn Solomon. Without further ado, here's today's episode. On today's episode of Founder Real Talk, I'm joined by my colleague, Oren Younger. Hey, Oren. Hey, Glenn. And we're super excited to be welcoming Amit Bendov to the show. Amit is the co-founder and CEO of Gong.io. Gong's a revenue intelligence platform that analyzes the data of sales calls, emails, texts, and social media to create insights to optimize company sales. Amit graduated from Tel Aviv University with a bachelor's in computer science and co-founded his first company, Click Software, during his time there. Today, we're going to focus on Gong. We're going to talk about how it started, how it's changing the world of sales optimization, and what the future holds. Amit, thanks for joining us today, and welcome to Founder Real Talk. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Great. So let's start a little bit with your background. You've been working in software for over 30 years. Before you co-founded Gong, you uh, founded Click Software and were CMO at Panaya, as well as CEO at SciSense, uh, another Israeli unicorn. So you, this is not your first rodeo. Got a lot of experience. Talk to us about the Rove paved for yourself in the two decades that led you to starting Gong. And then what uh, inspired you to start Gong? What was the problem that you saw in the market where you said, I, I got I to gotta get off my, uh, my very successful career path and, and start this company? First, I was one of the founding team members of, of Click Software. I was not like the, the founder, but everything else is, is true. And I ran like almost like every role in a company, in a tech company, uh, except for finance. I ran like product, sales, marketing, development, product marketing. I've led like four companies. And the last two ones, I was amazed by how little uh, we know about what's really happening with our customers. And, you know, maybe amazed is too harsh a word, but kind of like shocked that we're, we're accepting this as a, as a fact that... All we know about what's happening with our customers is based on updates that customer-facing people in sales and support are putting in a CRM system, right? They're filling forms, like what happened, like he said and she said. And then like whenever we wanted to know like what's really happening with our people, for example, why are some better than others, right? What are they doing that is different? Or why are we losing some deals or, or winning some deals, the answer were nowhere to be found. It's just, you know, they're definitely not in this area. And we had to go and like ask people and get their opinions. Mm. And if you ask, you know, this could sound like, you know, a, a, a marketing person, a product person, and a salesperson walking to a bar and not to ask, why did you <laughs> make that deal? Right. Now you get like nine different versions of the story. You never really know. So, and then it dawned on me that it's actually ridiculous that we're relying on manual forms. And that was like 2015. So the, we're making people work hard for stuff that they hate doing. And we're not getting good information. All right. And, and that was the year where kind of like uh, AI 
was beating like the um, the world champion in chess, right? And the question I was asking, like, if AI can beat the world champion in chess or it can diagnose cancer better than doctors, why can it capture what customer say better than salespeople and customer support people? So that was the, the idea. Can we create a system that kind of tells us everything that goes that goes on with our customers and customer-facing people without anybody having to lift a finger? That was the genesis of Gong. Mm, very cool. There's a lot of data that exists that just falls on the floor, I guess you'd say, with respect to conversations that salespeople are having with their customers. Was there a moment where you realized, hey, we can we can we can access that data at least when people are talking, you know, in, in digital streams, like on on phone calls or Zooms or what have you, and intercept that and create data out of it? Yeah, absolutely. So first, uh, you know, one thing to realize there is actually a hundred times more data in real conversation. Only one percent of the information ends up in the CRM. Because if we're having a conversation here and, you know, we're three, uh, two people and we're talking, let's say, for an hour, we'll exchange some 6,000 words on average. Average talking speed is about 150 words per minute. What ends up in the uh, in the CRM system is maybe like 30. <laughs> and that's like highly subjective. Oh, it was a great call. Media's a cool dude. Like, uh, yeah, let's talk again next year. All right. That's, that's the level that you're getting. So... First, like 99% is lost, right? And it's all like at the best case, it's in, in in salespeople's heads. But when they move on or they leave, all of that is gone. So that's kind of information that is like a much more uh, accurate uh, and, and bigger than anything that, that people can fill in. When I started thinking about the company, my co-founder, Elon, and I, we started researching the technology of uh, what's available, can we really capture? For email, we knew that we could do it. So there were even some companies doing some lightweight uh, text analysis for emails. Uh, but for voice and video, we did uh, kind of like a state-of-the-art technology study. And uh, fortunately, that was 2015. That AI just made like a, like elite in capabilities that allows to build a product that's just good enough. Um and we said, yeah, that's uh, that's doable. Like, had we started the company two or three years prior to that, I don't know if it would have been successful. That's cool. Makes sense. Makes sense. Timing, timing is everything, they say. Yeah. 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 That's important. So data is important. Marketing is equally important. Your marketing has always been relevant, punchy, pushing boundaries. I even remember seeing the Gong logo on every bus in San Francisco how does it, your previous experience as CMO help shape the marketing strategy? And now that you're over 400 people, how involved are you in the marketing operations and decision-making? Well, fortunately, I have a team that is doing a, a spectacular job. Like in the early days, kind of like the logo, uh, like it's something that I, me and like our user interface uh, design did. It, it looks better today, but uh, that was kind of like, a, and I can tell the story, but uh, I'm involved in the... Um, the key messages, kind of like the story of the company, the high-level stuff, but everything else is done by the uh, by the team. They're doing a phenomenal, and they have like a very long leash in terms of things that they uh, they can get done. They have like a generous budgets and a lot of like creative freedom. In that context, what advice do you have to founders about letting go 
as the company scales? I think that's that's the uh, that's one of the the biggest learning, and I think most founders are very very good at least in at one thing that they do. They might be like a phenomenal engineer or like a very creative salesperson or a marketeer. They're probably way better than the average, and it's hard for them when they hire people to let them do their job because they know they feel that they know better, and sometimes they do know better. The realization that you need to make that you can be better than one person, you could be better than two people, you could be better than three. It's hard to be better than five, right? You can't, right? So at some point, you realize that the most that you could hope for is kind of like assemble a great team. Uh, it, it has to be amazing, right? Uh, you gotta, you need to hire well, give them some kind of direction and resources, and let them do their job. Right. Even if they're different from you, they might do something else. Maybe it'll take them a little time to learn, but you got to let them do their thing. That's the way to scale. Gotcha. So it's important advice. Okay. Uh, well, it, it must be super hard to sell to salespeople. They only, not only heard it all, but they actually said it all. What's Gong strategy when trying to acquire such a sophisticated buyer? What has worked well? And, you know, do you use Gong, the product, to sell to others? I mean, in, in some, uh, of course, we use Gong. Like, we wouldn't have been Gong without Gong, obviously. <laughs> it, it helped us. And we had some challenges, uh, like, uh, like, when we started. Actually, it's not so hard to sell if your product is, is exciting and compelling. And this is, this is another advice for founders. You, you should think of a product kind of like as, as a knife. If the edge is dull you need to apply a lot of pressure. If the edge is sharp, it will just slide through. So, so invest in a product really want. And, and in Gong, we addressed all the reasons to buy and try to eliminate all the reasons not to buy uh, to the best of our ability. And that, that actually helps. So it's actually not so hard to sell to salespeople if the product is, is exciting. And a lot of time it's even fun because like they know what's going on. All right. So they can appreciate a good sales play. Uh, they recognize one when they see. And if your game isn't good, they'll they'll call you out like as well. So this is a situation where you can ask, would it be a response for me to put you in my Q4 forecast? Right. They know exactly. And they say, like, like, can we do a little discovery? They know exactly what's going on. So actually, like, I think our salespeople are having a good time selling to salespeople. It does help that the product is, is compelling, but it's not so hard. So you're training, you're training Gong not only with internal salespeople, but with external ones as well. Of course. <laughs> Is the sale to salespeople or to sales leaders, sales managers typically? We sell to a number of personas for the organization. The primary buyer would be the sales leader. Uh, that's where the budget is. But obviously, the salespeople have to absolutely love it and endure so they can provide a nice tailwind because like, nobody wants to fight a political battle to something that users don't want to use. Uh, we also work with enablement, with operations. Uh, sometimes product people really love Gong. Marketing people really love Gong. So uh, we try to create a lot of tailwind within the account. But uh, the buyer is the sales leader. Yeah, I would imagine there's just an incredible amount of uh, interesting data for all those teams that comes out in these conversations. So very, very cool that uh, you're able to appeal to such a broad audience. Yeah, I mean, it, they go from like zero to 100. If you think like the, uh, like an age, we spoke about like, you know, the uh, the friction between like product and sales, right? Salespeople complain that the customers do not want to buy because the product is missing something or that the competitor has. 
right? But product people don't believe them, right? <laughs> uh, sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong. But with Gong, right, all of a sudden they can hear exactly what the customers are saying. Yeah, the uh, dispute ends. Here's the data. Disputes and and the second, it's the difference from like anecdote and data, right? Because anecdote, yeah, one customer didn't buy because of that, versus like you know, thirty-seven percent didn't buy. Now you can make an educated decision about what are we doing about it, or we're not doing about it. But um, that's uh, it, it's a real game changer uh, for integrating the entire company. Makes a ton of sense. So like here, here we are in the pandemic and it's completely changed like the way people are working and how companies are operating. Curious, like what changes you've had to instrument at Gong um, in your approach to sales uh, and what you've seen, you know, other companies doing as well. What would you say, you know, is, is working and what's, what's not working these days relative to pre pre COVID era? I think we've we've had to adjust as a company, like a lot of other companies. First, like uh, you know, first and foremost, people working remotely. This is like a major um, major challenge. I mean, we're we're functional, but uh, but it's we're not close as we as we used to be. Uh, we hire a lot of people that we've never met, and we wish that uh, that we we could have. How do we keep everybody connected, informed, engaged? Uh, not just with sales, but the entire entire company. Uh, we're investing a lot of a lot of effort and, and resources in, in making it happen in, in the best possible way. For our customers, there are two things. First, they're remote like us, so teams that used to work together are kind of scattered all over the place. And second, they can't meet with customers. So a lot of companies sold in person, especially for the larger, um, higher ticket items, right? The the enterprise sales, and that's gone, and it's probably not coming back. Yeah. Uh, so that created like a whole um, a whole new uh, trend to kind of digitize sales that, that was, was going to happen like anyway, right? But, you know, probably would have taken like 10 years, and now it's taking like 10 weeks, right? And all of a sudden, like company sees that, yeah, you can sell like, multi-million dollar deals over Zoom. So kind of that that uh, reality proved the point. And I'm, I'm pretty confident that that's a permanent change. I mean, maybe it'll go back a little bit. It's not that you will never meet, but definitely now that it's proven that you can't do it remotely, it'll be that way forever. Well, I guess it's a, it's a good trend for you guys um, because the, the more conversations that you can, that aren't happening person to person, like the easier it's probably to intercept the data and intercept those conversations and create data from, from that. Yeah, absolutely. So, so going digital and, and uh, remote selling is, is like uh, definitely gives us a lot of uh, tailwind as, as a company. I think it's a good thing for the world, like less travel, less carbon, more family time, more productivity and, and, and more freedom of, you know, where you live. Right. So yeah, this, uh, definitely like, I think overall, it's a good thing. It's a much more efficient process. I wish that the drivers were like uh, <laughs> different, right? It was just the productivity yeah. and not a pandemic. That that we're not happy about, but uh, yeah. I mean, are, we, we got to look at the positive side of it. Well, speaking of positives, you, you talk about uh, the revenue intelligent, intelligence platform to generate sales. Can you talk a little bit about what you mean by revenue intelligence platform and uh, how are you using it for the customer's benefit? Yeah, so there are two things, two or three things that makes a, a revenue team successful. First, like, uh, 
building an amazing team, and second, running an incredible sales process and uh, getting enough leads, right? These are the three things. So that's traditionally companies have been kind of like in the dark or, you know, how do I know if my people are doing a great job? It's like, you know, whether they're following some kind of playbook or anecdotally from what they're telling me that's what's going on. But with Gong, all that guesswork is gone. You're not speaking to the right person. He'll advise how you could uh, uh, push that deal forward, identify which customers are at risk of churning, all of that based on information that is in a conversation, right? So if the customer sends an email, says, uh, I'm going to have to speak with my CFO about January purchase, right? Gong reads those things and updates the leadership team, right? So it's not based on, on, um, on estimates, on guesses, on some kind of statistical probabilities. It's based on what's actually happening on the reality of the customer. And that's like a, a huge difference. People have to manually put in their opinions of what's happening, why some people are successful, why some deals are closing, which deals are going to close. Here is the data itself. The customer reality drives the decisions and nobody has to lift a finger. That's the beauty of the system. You recently raised $200 million Series D at over $2 billion valuation. First, congrats. You also acquired another tech company out of Israel, uh, Vio. Many of our listeners wonder, when is a good time to acquire a company versus partner or compete? Could you share your thought process leading to this acquisition? Yeah, we already acquired uh, two companies. Um but it, it, I mean, there are two, uh, there are two, three types, right? First, make sure that you can afford, right? Because like, uh, not, not just financially from, uh, let's say that, you know, imagine that the company was free. Can you absorb? Can you dedicate? Is it more of a distraction than value, right? So that's just, uh, don't, don't do it because it, it feels cool. Just because make sure that you're, you're set up. Uh, it is important that you, you hire like, uh, especially if it's a smaller company, like a great team. People that can be add value to the organization, people that you want to keep, and sometimes it's a it's a roadmap thing. If you, if there are like you know four things that you need to develop strategically uh, from the company in the next year or two, and you know you can only do three, right? And there's an opportunity to acquire the fourth, then then why not? I mean that's like a it's a good move. Gong really stands out in the tech world as a leading sales growth company. Healthy competition can bring out the best in company and force it to look at itself from different angles so that it can continue to stand out in the crowded market. What are some of the challenges that Gong has faced from competition and how has this made the company better? Actually, you know, my view on that would be, might be somewhat controversial, but, uh, you know, I most subscribe like Peter Thiel's like book is like competition is for losers. Like we don't like competition. So, like at Gong and Year One, we actually were not the first to market. We didn't know that because when I, I told you about how I looked for a solution like Gong and couldn't find it, and then I, I started, hey, let's start a company. But there are other companies before us. And and like the first year when we started after our first sale, the, the mission to the team, Gong will be kind of like the by the end of this year, we will be like the undisputed leader in this market. Or personally, this is like a pretty boring company for me, personally. Like, we're all going to spend like 15, 16 hours a day. It, it, it's best that we work for um, 
uh, for the leading company because there is like the second prize is not really interesting. So we're actually pretty determined to not be close to anyone. And, uh, and, and we actually put metrics and, and like everything that we could in a company to do that. So today gong trails from companies like with like, you know, rough comparable products is like four to five X like an AR, despite like having like similar resources and started like later. And, uh, and we invest heavily in the product. We invest heavily in, in uh, the go-to-market team in customer success to make sure that we keep the edge. If we stop developing these days, it doesn't take long for someone to copy stuff. So we're painfully aware that people, you know, can and will copy. So we're always like pushing forward, both in terms of the product and go to market. So competition is, is not like a challenge for us right now, but that's, that's by design. It's a very deliberate effort. So we're very mindful that we, we just do not want to have like real competition. How about, you know, curious to talk a little bit about the fact that you're such a global company and you've been global from from day one. You know, you, you obviously didn't build a company that was just going to serve the Israeli market. What What's it like building, a, you know, a, a, a global go to market strategy from day one, uh, particularly from from a place like Israel? Like, do you, did you have to do things differently or think differently, given that, you know, every company in the world's got sales. Um, so really, your your customers could be all over. Right, right. First, there there is no Israeli market. It's not. It's it's so small that it's not interesting. Like, uh, I think an, an advantage that Israeli companies have that there is you can't build a local company. It's, it's just too small. If I were to start a company like maybe like in Germany or France, the market is large enough. The local market, and you could build a decent company as a local business. Like Israeli companies, it doesn't exist. So, it's you you have to be global by by uh, on day one. So I don't know like anything else. I just don't know how to start a local company. I just know how to build like a company. We, I, I will say that we, uh, most of our focus to date has been like in the U.S., which I think is kind of like different from some companies that, that actually start to explain internationally like earlier than, uh, than we are. And that's also by, by design because I'd rather have like 2,000 customers in the U.S., then a thousand in the UK and a thousand in the US, just from pure uh, market development perspective, right? Just kind of the self-referenceability, the amount of like uh, awareness in the market, the leadership position. So we've kind of resisted temptation. We've got a lot of inbounds from like any corner uh, that you can think of in the world. Mm-hmm. People say, "Hey, you know, when are you coming to this? Or when are you coming to this? And when are you coming to that?" And I said, "Like we're not," and and that's a very focused approach for uh, market leadership. Okay. So global applicability, but f- try to keep, keep the focus on certain markets. Yeah. U.S. being, yeah. being one makes sense. Um, you know, and, and you, you personally have experience in the U S when you were with click software, I think you lived, you lived here uh, in the U S and helped built out the North America team. Did that give you an edge, like thinking about the U S market and how you, you'd, you'd uh, attack the U S market with gong? Um, how important was it to have been here and spent time in the U.S.? Well, very important. I mean, it's like uh, understanding the uh, the culture, um, even like, you know, things like the brands, uh, the network mm-hmm. that you build, people that I, that I know, that I can hire, that I can uh, raise money from, understanding the uh, corporate America dynamics. So, yeah, definitely that, that, uh, that helped. 
And again, it's the only thing that I know. Like, I don't know how to sell like in like uh, a lot of other <laughs> territories, but uh, definitely that was like uh, for me a very good school. Mm. Did you did you hire out a team in the U.S. pretty quickly, or how did how did that how did that go along? Yeah, we started. Uh, you, you're alluding to Gong, right? So yes, yeah, sorry, sorry. Gong, yeah. We, I think the first, yeah, maybe on the first year or so, like uh, we already had like uh, some some pe- like a few people, like a handful, but pretty early. As soon as we knew that we have like um, we have a product that people are willing to pay money for. Maybe like slightly before we already hired like a first team, and now actually the majority of the team we're about four hundred people, roughly uh, three quarters, seventy percent of that is, is is in the U.S. Wow, okay, yeah. that's betting that's betting big on the U.S. market. Uh yeah, 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 yeah. We're we're growing to eight hundred next year, so more. we're going to talk about growth in a second. But first, let's talk about the name, Gong. You said in interviews that being risky is safe and being safe is risky. You've used Virgin as a great example to a name that may not come up as practical or conversational, but it immediately grabs your attention. What made you land on the name Gong? Well, you know, let's start with the first thing. I think that the uh, the risk that most people um, tend to or most founders tend to um, underestimate is kind of like anonymity, right? It's like just just being swallowed in the noise that's out there. There are a lot of things, you know, you know, those like logo slides with like marketscapes and that you see like, you know, a hundred companies. So you need to be bold, right? Because it's the, the real risk is that the world wouldn't know about you or wouldn't care. Right. And I'd always like good marketing is always like polarizing, right? Polarizing. I mean, if you're in a sweet spot where, 50% of the people love and 50 don't, that's actually like a pretty, uh, pretty, uh, you know, everybody hates is not good. Yeah. But you're at the spot, right? This is, the, this is the optimum uh, mathematically. So if, even if you look at the gong logo, the gong logo looks like, like very amateurish. I mean, it looks a little cleaner today, but uh, we designed it. When I say we, it's not we. I, I took the person who did our user uh, interface design, the, the product designer. I told him, like, and we're just heading out to a conference in Chicago. This was the first conference. So, like, well, listen, Jonathan, like, uh, we're going to get there and it's going to be this, like, billboard with, like, 30 logos. I want to see when I'm, like, 20 yards away, I want the Gong logo to stand out. I don't care if people, like, hate it or love it but they can't ignore it, right? That was the Gong logo. It's, it's, it didn't have those like swooshes. It looks like like comics, uh, which is like very uh, non-enterprisey. And again, and you know, he gave me some of this. Yeah, that's the one. Like without like a lot of thinking, I knew this is the one to send out. And even to this day, like if you see those logo slides, you'll recognize the Gong logo like pretty quickly. Just the colors and the shape is like very non-traditional. It'll stand out and like, and and we got a lot of people said this doesn't look like a great logo. It says great, like that's what I want to hear. Uh, <laughs> Gong, um, Gong. For people that don't know, Gong is kind of what uh, sales teams do when they win a deal. Usually, there is one in a room. Now it's virtual, so it's kind of like the sound of winning. It's it is short. It has a very potential. And even that, like I had like VCs that didn't want to invest in Gong. Says, do you know that name is a negative? 
right? Because they're alluding to like the uh, the gong show that you got gong is yeah. a negative. But most people today don't even know what the gong show is. <laughs> well, fortunately, we found people that were willing to invest. So pretty much uh, a lot of the things that we're doing uh, are finding, catering to the people that care and almost ignoring the ones that don't, right? That's, that's how you stand out, not by getting something that uh, everybody would agree with. Cool. I personally love it. I think the, you know, every salesperson in the world is very aware of what a gong is and they see it as a positive, not a negative. And so it's kind of like an inside, almost like an inside joke. Like yeah. By virtue of naming your company gong, you're telling the sales teams, like we understand you we're part, you know, we're, right. we're with you guys, right. which I think is super valuable. Uh, yeah, it's for winners. Um, as Orrin mentioned earlier, you guys are valued at north of two billion now, um, which is which is incredible, and you've sustained very dramatic growth over the last few years to to achieve that. It'd be it'd be great to hear from you just as as you look into the future. What gets you excited? What does the road look like for Gong? Well, we we believe that we have the potential to build a very large company, one of the largest in the world, like bigger than than uh, than anything like definitely in the, in the sales or, or CRM space. Uh, we still have a long way to go and the burden of proof is, is on us, but the potential is certainly there. Uh, you, you could build a system that is actually way better than, than traditional systems in managing customers. Um, it's, it's a pretty big vision. We got a long way to go both from a market acceptance and, and definitely a lot of product development. We're investing heavily. And uh, yeah, you know, we don't celebrate valuation kind of as the, the, the accomplishment, you know, I've, I've, I've been around for a while, so I don't let that, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a nice compliment for what it's worth. It reflects kind of like the mm-hmm. investors uh, sentiment on what the potential of the company, but it is what it is. It's a potential that you gotta, you gotta, mm-hmm. uh, we, we think it's, it's, it's a lot higher, but uh, we always focus on, on building a real business, one that generates cash flow. Gong is like very good unit economics. Uh, and and we want to be able to become an independent company that controls its own destiny, that builds like a real uh, real business and, um, and be profitable. Cool. Well, that's a very exciting future. We're looking forward to, to, to watching it unfold. Okay. We're at that part of the, uh, the, the episode where we're going to put you on the hot seat and ask you some speed round questions. Okay. (laughs) So no pressure, but there's a lot of pressure. Um, What, what books or uh, article types do you recommend for founders? Well, I think there, there are a lot. I think that, uh, you know, what has been like uh, the ones that I've been uh, influenced positioning by Al Riaz is like, is a classic and market. Uh, crossing the chasm, obviously, is still true. I mean, it's like the world has changed somewhat, but the fundamentals are, are still there. Don't make me think is like a, is mm. a really good old like web design from two thousand book from two thousand. It's very outdated, but the fundamentals are true. How do something like very simple? It, it doesn't have to be like user. It could be like a pitch, a message, a product. Just kind of like uh, transform the way that you uh, that you think. So yeah, these three would be like a very good start. Hey, that's great. Thanks. What advice would you give to younger meat? I think learning to like delegate like uh, early on 
you know, if I'd done it sooner, it probably would have been better. Not that I'm complaining, but uh, yeah, the sooner you learn that, the better. Um, hire well, delegate, empower. This is a very common issue we see with like first time, you know, uh, less experienced company leaders. They tend to uh, put everything on their own shoulders. And right. That's, that's a good one. That's a good one. So you're a global, you're a man of the world. Uh, you've lived in New York, San Francisco, Tel Aviv. Uh, but you actually grew up in a pretty rural area, if I remember correctly. Right. What's your What's been your favorite city that you've lived in? And if you had to quarantine somewhere next, where would it be? Ah, that's a tough one. Well, Oren knows for me it would be all about I, the I, I wouldn't mind being a, a quarantine on a Greek island. Like, I love Greece. All right. Greece. That's a good one. Nice in the French Riviera. Tel Aviv is pretty cool too. And I, I love New York too. So yeah, maybe I could like jump around with those cities. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sounds nice. Okay. This is, this is a really important one. What was the name of the rock band you wanted to start when you were younger? I didn't have a name. Like I wanted to be like, like Led Zeppelin. Like that was like, maybe like Led Zeppelin too. Like, uh, <laughs> Something catchy that people yeah. cannot ignore. Yeah. Led Zeppelin 2. I think Gong is a better name than Led Zeppelin 2. Thank you, Gong well. is cool. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. Awesome. I mean, thank you so much for your time. This has been fantastic. Congrats on all the success you've had with Gong to date. We understand that it's a, a long journey and you're only uh, part of the way to where you want to go. But uh, anybody listening to this podcast, uh, I think will will uh, has gained excitement for Gong and is like us waiting with anticipation to see where this company ends up. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate you sharing your thoughts, and I know people are going to love this. Excellent. Well, thanks for thanks for having me. Thanks, Amit. You've been listening to Founder Real Talk. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us on the Apple Podcast app to help others find this podcast. If you have any questions you'd like us to ask our guests or founders you'd like to hear on this podcast, feel free to email us at founderrealtalk at ggvc.com. Our theme song is by Grapes. GGV Capital is a global venture capital firm that invests in local founders. As a multi-stage sector-focused firm, GGV focuses on seed to growth across consumer, social and internet, enterprise cloud and frontier tech. The firm was founded in 2000 and manages $6.2 billion in capital across 13 funds. Past and present portfolio companies include the likes of Affirm, Airbnb, Alibaba, Didi, Grab, Hellobike, HashiCorp, House, Keep, Namely, New, Opendoor, Peloton, Poshmark, Slack, Square, Wish, and many more. The firm has offices in Beijing, San Francisco, Shanghai, and Silicon Valley. Learn more at ggvc.com or follow us on Twitter at, at GGV Capital or GGV Capital on WeChat.